Hello and welcome to Quantitative Investment Insights presented by Greenwich Quantitative Research. Greenwich Quantitative Research is a hedge fund based in Greenwich, Connecticut, focused on market-neutral quantitative investing in the Asia-Pacific region. I'm here with the company's founder and chief investment officer, Gene Riley. Gene has 30 years of experience in trading and investing, including 19 years living and working in Asia. Gene was an early pioneer in quantitative trading and has been involved in the space for over 18 years. Our topic today is value versus growth. Now, Gene, value and growth have been in the news a lot from late 2021 until today. Can you please let us know why value and growth are making investment news these days? Layla, thanks so much for that great introduction. It's really nice to be talking to you again today. Growth has strongly been outperforming value for most of the period following the great financial crisis. It's been one of the longest and strongest periods of growth outperformance, so it's attracted a lot of investor attention. However, starting in late 2021, the value growth spread reversed and growth has sharply underperformed both value stocks and the broader market. We believe there are very interesting insights to gain by taking a comparative look at how value and growth have performed over the last 25 years in the U.S. and Asian markets and providing reasons for why there are differences. We're going to discuss the value and growth phenomena in the market. I'd like to clarify, however, at Greenwich Quantitative Research, we are neither value nor growth investors, nor do we necessarily advocate pursuing such strategies. You know, value and growth, you know, perform differently over different periods of time. And and someone who is pursuing either a growth or value strategy will suffer, you know, sometimes long periods of underperformance and and have, you know, periods of really great performance. Um, You know, we seek to provide, uh, you know, superior returns really through all market cycles. Uh, Additionally, there's been a lot of debate between smart beta as well as um, style factor timing. You know, we're advocates of really neither in our investment approach. We seek to be neutral to all style factors, including value and growth. Well, when I hear value investing discussed in the news, it is often associated with Warren Buffett. Buying a stock at a discount, something that has value, sounds like a compelling investment concept. Yes, the current concept of value investing dates back to the 1920s and is usually credited to Benjamin Graham and and David Dodd, who were finance professors at Columbia and taught a strategy of buying deeply undervalued companies. You know, Warren Buffett was Graham's protege, therefore he's very, um, very associated with the strategy. Some investors are still very successful at making exceptionally well-timed purchases of value stocks. However, value investing is no longer an all-weather strategy. A pure value approach doesn't work like it used to in the Graham-Dodd era or in the early days of Warren Buffett. In recent decades, investors who pursue a value approach have seen their techniques work only during specific market regimes and have long periods of underperformance. Can you explain briefly how investors price value in growth stocks and what factors influence their performance? Value stocks derive the majority of their value from stable, near-term free cash flows, which can be extrapolated into the future with a degree of confidence. You know, examples of sectors include financials and utilities. Growth stocks derive the majority of their value from expected future earnings. Sometimes they have low or even negative near-term earnings. You know, the examples are startup companies in the technology sector, you know, healthcare, biotechs, for example. How does the macro environment affect value and growth performance? Conventional wisdom is that value stocks tend to outperform when economic growth is very strong uh, or extremely weak. 
and when interest rates rise, although a consistent period of rising interest rates hasn't happened for decades. Now, we don't really have any recent uh, data on the interest rate cycle and value stocks that's relevant to the current market regime. Growth stock performance in the U.S. over the past 10 years has occurred to the backdrop of historically unprecedented monetary easing. Growth stocks have historically outperformed when investors are extremely enthusiastic about the introduction of a new technology. You know, some of the examples going back through history, you know, were the advent of the railroads, uh, the introduction of television, you know, and the early days of the internet are, are, are some examples. Why did growth perform so well in the U.S. after the great financial crisis up until very recently? You know, growth has benefited from really from record low bond yields. Good growth companies were harder to find in the in the period post the post the great financial crisis until 2016. The economic recovery was weak, and there were persistent earnings downgrades. In this environment, it was hard to find companies in sectors where, uh, with dependable growth prospects, those companies that offered dependable growth got rewarded by investors. The technology sector has had very strong growth and is a large weight in the growth index. The rise in margins in technology has also been a big contributor to the outperformance of growth. Now, as of 2022, the technology sector comprises about 48% of the MSCI U.S. growth index. For the S&P 500, the information technology sector is the largest sector at 28%. The financial sector is currently ranked fourth with a weight of 11.2%. For example, in, 2000, uh, in October of 2007, the financial sector was the highest weight in the S&P 500 at 19.2%, while information technology was ranked second at 16.9%. Low capital-intensive sectors have outperformed high capital-intensive sectors for two reasons. Many of the low, uh, lowest capital-employed companies are technology companies which have, which have performed extremely well. You, know, you could argue that the impact of quantitative easing and close to zero interest rates have perpetuated numerous low-margin players uh, in older industries that normally would have been spurred to consolidate if it was a higher interest rate environment. Interesting. In your explanation of why growth outperformed, we can see a number of reasons for why value underperformed. Would you add anything else of value to this? You know, weak growth and low interest rates negatively impacted the returns of cyclical sectors, uh, which have a high weight in value indices. Banks have been cited as an example of a value play. You know, however, you know, to, to be a little more nuanced on this, the great financial crisis was essentially a banking crisis. Uh, the cycle of banking crises and their recoveries have their own unique characteristics and cadence. You know, people would cite as a good example of value timing was Warren Buffett's investment in the banking sector during the financial crisis, which were structured as debt on the downside and equity warrant, warrant participation on the upside in order to mitigate the need for him to precisely time the cycle. Can you compare the performance of value versus growth in the U.S. and Asia during the dot-com and, and great financial crisis periods? We looked at the value growth spread over the past 25 years in both the U.S. and Asia. In the U.S., value underperformed growth by 43 percentage points in the period leading up to the dot-com crash. You know, we would define that as January 1997 through February 2000. Following the dot-com crash, value rallied 37 percentage points from its low and outperformed growth. And that was in the period from February 2000 until uh, July 2006. From December 2008 to November 2021, value again underperformed growth, this time by 57 percentage points. The post-Great Financial Crisis period is historically the longest period of underperformance 
for value versus growth in the United States. The value growth spread performed significantly worse in the post-GFC period, underperforming by an additional 14 percentage points. How did Asia compare during these two periods? Lila, that's a great question. There are interesting differences between Asia and the U.S. during both periods. Asia-Pacific as a region followed the same pattern as the U.S., but value underperformed growth to a lesser degree during both periods. Coming into the dot-com crash, value underperformed growth by 25 percentage points in Asia versus 43 percentage points in the United States. Post the GFC, value underperformed growth by 49 percentage points in Asia versus 57 percentage points in the United States. The post-Great Financial Crisis value underperformance in Asia started later and ended earlier compared with the United States. Specifically, value underperformance didn't really begin in Asia until March 2013 and ended in February 2021, before the U.S. value rally started in November 2021. Why do you think the value versus growth spread in the U.S. underperformed more in both periods compared with Asia? Layla, the biggest contributor to the difference during both periods is the domination of tech stocks as a driver of growth. Um, The dot-com rally and crash was driven by technology stocks. Post the GFC, technology stocks have been the largest contributor to growth's outperformance in the U.S., as we discussed. In both periods for investors who wanted to gain exposure to growth, tech stocks offered the best growth story. Tech's performance was strong, and the weights of tech stocks and growth indices increased over time, making growth outperformance even larger. It's harder for a pure growth company in Asia that isn't making money to meet the listing requirements in many Asian markets. U.S. listing requirements allow companies that have no earnings and are losing money to go public. Many, but not all, Asian exchanges have profitability hurdles for listing. For example, both Amazon and Facebook, at the time of their respective IPOs in the United States, would not have met the listing requirements in some Asian countries, including China and Hong Kong. Consequently, investment during the early stages of growth is typically funded privately in Asia. Asia tech companies tend to be more capital-intensive, hardware-focused companies than uh, in the United States. You know, for example, Apple doesn't manufacture its own products. Much of the manufacturing is done in Asia, and a lot of that's done by a Taiwan company called Honhai. Apple trades in the United States at a PE of 28.9. Honhai trades at a PE of 10.5. How much has the U.S. tech sector outperformed the tech sector in Asian countries? Layla, in the U.S., the technology sector outperformed the Russell 1000 index by 166% post the great financial crisis as defined as December 2008 through November 2021. No other Asia technology sector came close to that level of outperformance. The best performing tech sectors in that period were in Korea and Taiwan, and both of those were up approximately 111% versus the market, but substantially below um, the U.S., Japan was the dominant equity market in Asia prior to the great financial crisis and before China's equity market grew substantially. How has the value growth spread performed in Japan versus the U.S.? In Japan, the value growth spread didn't sell off as much during the dot-com period, but was in line with U.S. underperformance in the uh, post-great financial period. In the dot-com period, the underperformance was 28%. In the post-GFC period, the underperformance was 57%. What contributes to different performance in the value growth spread for Japan versus the U.S.? 
Yeah, it's a great question. Um, you know, the, I, would, I would say there's several factors. Um, you know, in Japan, generally, there is less private equity activity and significantly less activist investor activity, given the legal system is unfavorable to activist investors. Consequently, some of the catalysts that exist in the U.S. for unlocking value are not significant factors in Japan. Frequently, you hear the term value trap used to describe some of the companies in Japan where it's difficult to unlock their value. How did the value growth spread perform in China and India? China's market was essentially closed until 2002 when QFE was launched. It didn't experience the value growth sell-off during the dot-com period. Post the great financial crisis, value underperformed growth by 30 percentage points in China and by only 8 percentage points in India. In contrast, with the consistent underperformance of value in the United States, post the GFC, value experienced a large rally in China from December 2010 to January 2019 before selling off sharply. Value sold off gradually versus uh, growth in India post the great financial crisis until mid-2015. The spread didn't move from mid-2015 until mid-2020. From mid-2020 onwards, value moved up moderately. What reasons can you give for India and China's significant value and growth performance difference? Many reasons, potentially. Uh, It's a good question, Layla. Both countries have restricted currencies, which further reduces the impact of U.S. monetary policy, particularly in China, where the currency is managed. Both India and China have high retail participation. Retail trading exhibits a higher velocity as well as a focus on the lower end of the capitalization spectrum. As a result, value and growth won't trend for as long given the unique characteristics of the China and Indian markets. While both China and India markets have opened over the years, there are still restrictions in place that reduce the level of foreign investor flows. Foreign investors would try to profit from the large gap between the value growth spread between the U.S. and China and India if markets were more efficient. Such flows would likely reduce the spread. How did Australia perform? In contrast to the U.S., where growth outperformed value strongly into the dot-com crash, in Australia, value outperformed growth from January 1999 until mid-2003. Coming into the dot-com crash, value outperformed growth by 46 percentage points. Value underperformed growth from mid-2003 until mid-2009. Value did underperform growth post the GFC, but it started later in mid-2015 and ended earlier in October 2020. Post the GFC, value underperformed growth by 21 percentage points. Why would Australia perform so differently? Australia's economy and therefore stock market is mainly driven by domestic demand and exports to the Asian region. Materials and financials account for about 50% of the Australian stock market capitalization, while technology is only about 3.5%. The technology sector boom and bust in Australia coincided with the beginning of a major period of outperformance in the materials sector due to rising commodity prices. The materials sector drove value outperformance versus growth. The weight of the technology sector was too small to impact the strong value outperformance trend. So which countries perform similarly to the U.S.? Coming into the dot-com crash, value underperformed growth in Hong Kong by 53 percentage points and in Korea by 51 percentage points, more than uh, the U.S. at at 43 percent underperformance. The value sell-off started later in Taiwan, and it underperformed growth by only nine percentage points. Post the great financial crisis in Hong Kong, Korea, and Taiwan, 
the value growth spread tracked the U.S. underperformance of value closely. Hong Kong value underperformed by 41 percentage points, in Korea value underperformed by 35 percentage points, and in Taiwan value underperformed by 49 percentage points. Why did Hong Kong and Korea in both periods and Taiwan in the post-GFC period track the U.S. performance much closer versus the other Asian countries? Yeah, great question. Uh, Korea and Taiwan are both export economies with relatively large tech sectors. They're heavily influenced by the U.S. tech cycle. You know, for example, TSMC, Samsung, SK Hynix are all major chip makers. Hong Kong's dollar is pegged to the U.S., so Hong Kong imports the U.S. interest rate policy. Well, Gene, this has been a very instructive and timely discussion on value and growth with great insights from an Asian perspective. Thank you so much. Well, that's all the time we have for now. I'd like to thank you, our listeners, and I look forward to covering more topics in the future. We'll see you next time.